And who am I? That's not a secret I'll never tell. You know you love me. XOXO. Gossip Girl. Welcome back to XOXO, a Gossip Girl recap podcast presented by Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star. I am Joe Lipset. I am joined, as always, by Jenny Nolf. Hi, Jenny. Hi. As well as Ari Drew. Hi, Ari. Hi there, Gossip Girls. <laughs> oh, I gotta love it. Oh, boy. So we are talking about season two, episode two, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. That title is so apt because this is an episode that is filled with dinner dates. And Jenny, I'm going to give you the go ahead. Which one do you want to talk about first? I mean, can we talk about the most awkward one first, which is Zoya introducing Nick to Shan's family? (laughs) I love that even with a dildo being present in another scenario, that that's the one that you picked as the most awkward one. (laughs) It is the most awkward one, though. (laughs) It is. No, you're right. You're right. Well, I feel like the one that's happening with Max's dad is the best one because there's so much going on. And it really reminded me of the Thanksgiving episode from season one, whereas with oh man i i honestly got so frustrated with nick during this dinner sequence because it was really obvious what shan's family was doing to try to like win him over and sure yes it was them talking down to him as rich people but he was just being such a fucking dick no i i actually agree i thought he was really really awful and i just kind of considering how how he's been in general, mm-hmm. I don't know. It just, I, it rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, you know what? Like, if you can't see the genuine gesture here, the good, you know, the positive gesture here, yeah. I don't know what to say to you, man. Yeah, I thought it was like, I, I feel like sometimes the show wants us to be on Nick's side. But Oof. I, I don't, this is like one of those situations where I'm just like, I'm not seeing it this time. I'm really not Mm-mm. seeing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean... Agreed. Like, Gossip Girl is obviously dealing with super, super ultra-rich. And a lot of these adults are not good people, as we'll talk about in next week's episode. But here, it seems so obvious that Shan's family are good people, and they have forged this genuine connection with Zoya, and they are bringing his daughter joy. And the only thing he wants to do is poke holes in that. Like, this is definitely an olive branch on their behalf, and he is completely disinterested in doing anything with it. And I just find that really frustrating. The only thing I could think of is that he's, like, majorly jealous that this family, for some odd reason, has gotten Zoya to be involved and interested in, like, you know, coming over and sitting down and having dinner where he could never quite figure that out with her but mm-hmm. i i mean just maybe take a chill pill and maybe try to learn in this situation why your daughter prefers this instead of you know acting like a, a 16 year old yourself <laughs> yeah he was definitely acting way more childish than i think any of the other actual teenage characters in this episode and it was so frustrating because i do like they were really trying and yeah i do think it's a it is a bit like of uh kind of like a really offensive overkill to to specifically pull out, you know, the paper plates and the solo cups or whatever. But mm-hmm. I think an adult should be willing to ask the questions and, and understand, hello, my child is, 
you know, wanting something different and wanting something here that apparently she's not getting at home. So what is that? Like, instead, he was kind of like, I don't know, it felt like a sibling type of rivalry or a sibling conflict between him and Zoya. Mm hmm. Well, it's so weird, too, because in this same episode, we're seeing him really forge a connection with Julian. Like, I think their relationship has been much better than his and Zoya's this year. And it does make sense, right? Like, he doesn't have the same kind of overprotectiveness of Julian that he does for his quote unquote actual daughter. But at the same time, I mean, it, it just feels like maybe the show doesn't have quite the right handle on how to do this character because he seems inconsistent to me. Yeah, I think because I did like a lot of his, you know, turns of plot last season. And maybe it's just because it's not as interesting as some of the other plots going on right now. But this mm -hmm. kind of, uh, oh, let me pick my favorite daughter-ish type of vibe and, and sisterly fights for attention from dad. It's just, I don't know. It's not as interesting. I, I mean, I do love seeing more of Shan's family and getting some context mm -hmm. for how she, you know, who she is and where she comes from. Um, so th because of that, I was, you know, I was glad to have this, this subplot in the episode. But yeah, Nick's got to get it together. <laughs> yeah, it's good insight into who Shan is because her family seems very laid back and cool to the point where I thought, oh, I'd love to see more of these people. But maybe they're just not going to be here because they're not bringing the drama. Yeah, I, I I don't foresee the parents getting in so much, but there's like something with Shan that I, I feel like I haven't figured out yet and where the show is going with her outside her just being a good friend. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like I even in the scene, I'm still not grasping it yet. See, I think that I think that what they're trying to do is just kind of give Zoya an identity outside of the main social group. And, mm -hmm. you know, with Shan, maybe that's like the core of maybe some other group that could be uh, the focus because they are younger. So maybe it is trying to, to set up for the future in case, you know, it gets to the point that the older characters graduate. Right. Yeah. Okay, well, why don't we switch gears and talk about another dinner party, which is Monet and Julian trying to have this uh, exclusive cover dinner party thing. And it turns out that this is all Monet trying to instigate a reaction from Julian because she thinks that getting pushed into a pool and having Solange cancel on her will make for gossip-worthy events i guess this was such a blast because it reminded me oh lord what it's like it's like the rick and morty episode where they're doing like the double cross and the triple cross and then it reaches mm -hmm. like a certain level of um contrivance or whatever but i just thought it was funny how it's like oh you thought that you were pulling one over on me well this was my <laughs> plan all along it's very much gossip girl and i just i had a lot of fun with this and just kind of like the cattiness and especially with uh julian when they were getting interviewed at the table i thought that, that was hilarious how she was just kind of like setting her up left and right and even if that was her intention like monet looked a fool mm -hmm. oh for sure 
oh my god it is so funny when they ask Monet a question about anything political and she's just like <laughs> her smile is just <laughs> so perfect it in was. those scenes where she's just like oh my god but why can't we talk about makeup like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sorry I think you have the wrong set of questions I requested questions on pop culture <laughs> I love it and then it's like Julian life after cancellation and it's like Monet <laughs> like this commentary on Palestine and Israel what do you think you know it's just oh, <laughs> so good. boy oh boy <laughs> I heard you have a hot take and she's just like ah <laughs> <laughs> yeah her looks were fantastic and I, I oh it's just so nice to see them know what to do with her now give her more to do it's the like desperation for the war between her and Julian that she has in this episode is just so it's such a fascinating dynamic and I, I don't know I had a lot of fun with her in, the, in this particular subplot this episode I'll confess I like this part of the subplot. Everything to do with her trying to instigate a code of conduct at the school and giving people demerits. And uh, I mean, we've got the two girls from the other school suddenly transferring over so that they can be her minions. And I know that both of you are going to chastise me because Mm -hmm. this is quintessentially Mm -hmm. ridiculous and it's over the top and it's not meant to be taken seriously. But I just thought, wait we've got these two bullies literally forcing a girl to kneel in front of monet at one point in this episode and i was just like wait what what are we doing here joe this is not reality this is gossip girl (laughs) (laughs) let's make that clear yet again (laughs) this is like this is actually very again peak gossip girl this is like Mm -hmm. the kind of shit like the social hierarchy that's so specifically ridiculous it's like it's again, it's like a fantasy world. And so you I don't know, for me, you just have to take the it is stupid. It's completely stupid. It's completely unrealistic. But you I don't know, taking the ride. It's fun. I just love it. It's the um the Dehan, what is it? Dehan Demerit or something, something mm-hmm. like that. There's some alliteration or some wordplay with her last name and her demerits. And I thought that was so funny. I yeah. love how uh, her way of taking back uh, power is by enforcing a dress code, which seems like something that no one in high school would want to do. But right. then the amount of people that she gets on board, I'm like, interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I love them bringing back the teachers having to go through like the back entrance or whatever again, because they did that in the first episode, I feel like. Oh, I can't remember. But yeah, I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's yeah, and that, and I think that actually did a good job of reinstating the motivation for okay, this is why the teachers want to like we hate these kids so much and want to destroy them. And again, we we've had our chats about like the uh, ethicality or lack thereof <laughs> around that as, as educators, but this is also like Upper East Side private school where apparently no one goes to class, so they talk like they do, and. Mm-hmm teachers write the papers for them and things like that so it's kind of like you know what i'll bite this is this is just ridiculous and it's taking me out of the real world which is which is fine by me right now so speaking of the teachers we get a bit of a reveal that mike is duplicitous this is the new classics russian instructor He's not quite duplicitous in the way that we thought, though. So he is definitely looking to dig up dirt on corruption within the school. So he and Kate ultimately end up crashing a party at the headmistress's house for donors. And he's looking for evidence that she has been taking bribes, which, of course, we already know has been happening because Kate has discovered that. Um, 
I don't know. What do you two think of this? I thought that it was a, w- a weird thing to lock these two into another sort of let's hide in a room together and look for dirt. Like we just did this last episode. Yeah, I I don't know like where the season is going with Mike. I feel like this is a whole different Mike all of a sudden we saw in this episode. And like, it was just a little bit strange and odd to just have that immediate shift where all of a sudden he's buddy buddy with Kate. And willing Mm -hmm. to go along with her. Uh, I I thought it would go a different direction. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I I thought it was weird because they had this whole setup of like, oh, it's it's parents. It's it's, I guess it's like the parents of students who are at this private party. Mm -hmm. Like they could have done if they're going to do this, they could have like been up in that, you know, that whole group. And there could have been some fun, like, you know, snooty parents looking down on them, treating them worse than the students maybe would. So they could have done more with that. And I don't know if maybe it was just constraints around getting that many people for for a scene like this whenever there's already so much else going on in the episode. But yeah, Joe, I agree with you that I, I didn't love them being in the room the whole time. I did think they had some funny back and forwards and stuff. And, and I liked when the, mm-hmm. uh, the headmistress came in. But yeah, and, and Jenny, like, I guess, like, for me, like, I, I don't really have, I've, I don't think I've really had a handle on Mike. Like, I don't, I guess I wouldn't say that this is a different Mike, but I just don't get him yet. But uh, yeah, I think this, uh, this dynamic was, it was interesting. I see what they're trying to do with it. But as far as kind of this subplot, this episode it was probably my least favorite. I fear there is an enemies to lovers, like. Oh, for sure. For uh, sure. I can't oh, yeah. stand it. I'm like, I don't, I don't feel like they have chemistry. I think, I think that's it. Mm. Right now, I don't think they do. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I did say that during the first episode that they are going to bang it out before the season oh, is over. For I'm sure. Convinced. For sure. Yeah. I, I think part of the problem is that he, maybe this is something I'm struggling with with all of these uh, gossip girl teachers, except for Wendy, is that they they are so young themselves they look like they could just be starring in a kind of like saved by the bell the college years version of gossip girl where like they themselves were getting up into wacky shenanigans except that they're all too poor to be on the show (laughs) so even (laughs) even this mike guy like he looks so excessively young you know jenny i was editing our first episode of this second season and you said you know like i want to know how did this guy get a two-year sabbatical when he's clearly only about 30 years old and i realized yeah he looks too young for this like they all look just a little too young (laughs) i think didn't they say early in the episodes and we can look this up but like that kate's like in her early 20s so they are young like i don't think they're that much older than these students i think they're supposed to be in their early 20s like at least her like the way i feel like they said that and you we can we can correct me if i'm wrong later but yeah which is even more ridiculous like it's just it's another level it in a way mm-hmm. does explain their pettiness a little bit more yes. but like i love there's the joke around age wendy just has generally she's been having some great lines about mm-hmm. you know, just generally about her being kooky and she's just off the wall and i, and I appreciate watching her but she is older than she is a bit older than uh kate and they allude to that at some point but yeah the 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 very young you know mike who is probably younger than all of us uh in you know as Mm -hmm. far as his character goes having a sabbatical that is just hilarious but it's like this peak privilege that i just cannot i i just can't (laughs) with that A peak privilege that for some reason he wants to destroy from the inside. This is where I'm like, I don't know what he is up to. But my theory is that he definitely 
wants to get Kate for something. And this is why I'm like, it's definitely enemies to lovers because he's definitely not on her side right now. This is what mm-hmm. I infer. Yeah. But I feel like there's more to come with that. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I mean, I definitely appreciated the fact that he didn't want to remove uh, a headmistress Burton, who is played by the one and only Donna Murphy. I love her. I was actually very sad to see that she gets canned at the end of this episode because Kate decides to be high and mighty and reveal the fact that she has been taking bribes from parents. But if there was one part of the storyline that really did work for me, it was the fact that headmistress Burton immediately cracks when she finds them in her closet slash upstairs bedroom or whatever and she's like yeah this is a cage like i got locked into this or i would have been fired and i've just been living this secret shame for like seven years and i don't know i it surprised me i didn't expect her to have that reaction and then she's just gone at the end of the episode oh yeah because kate's a bitch uh (laughs) but also stupid because her move of telling quote-unquote gossip girl Mm -hmm. oh my god like could you give yourself up more right (laughs) that's kind of what i thought too but but at this point i guess technically it's i mean it is kind of like a citywide phenomenon and so Mm -hmm. the idea that everyone you know like it's like oh it's just what you would do the part that is kind of weird though is that she kept like pushing for him to tell gossip girl and he's like isn't that basically alluding like isn't it kind of over like aren't we over that right now and Mm -hmm. she was like she's still a gossip girl stan so yeah it does kind of like out her a little bit yeah at least her allegiances because he definitely does not seem invested in playing the gossip girl game yeah Okay, well, why don't we go to the storyline that we've obviously been saving for last, which is the best of all of these dinner parties. So uh, Max's father, the half-cheaty one, is trying to get in with this old biddy who does the park system, or I think it's Central Park. Anyway, not paying attention. Mm -hmm. So he basically proposes a birdcage scenario where they're going to pretend that they are still happily married. We're going to butter up the place so that it doesn't have any kind of overtly gay or sexual references. And of course, Max is trying to prove that he is still virile because uh, Audrey and Aki are not ready to come forward about their relationship and it is plummeting his stock. So they try to get his juice back up. So yes, we have all of these worlds colliding. Obi and Brooke are back in this portion because she knows this old woman. And basically everything comes to a head in the most spectacularly predictable, (laughs) but highly entertaining fashion. Oh, yeah, this is what the show does best, like these moments of, again, Mm -hmm. just kind of like everything that can go wrong does go wrong. But like this is one plot, this episode that I loved, like just everyone's performances. I thought everyone's comedic timing was just on point. And um, and the old biddy, Joe, that is that's grand grand from grand graham from true blood it's uh anna paquin's oh, right. grandmother from yeah. True blood. yeah it's lois smith lois smith yeah and so it, it was it was <laughs> nice to see her again and she is just horrible this character is a piece of shit yep <laughs> oh my god it's amazing how well she plays being a piece of shit she too. really does <laughs> i loved her like she just kept like attacking audrey i thought that that was so funny about using her phone and being disrespectful and oh it was so perfectly that type of woman 
Well, and this is another Joshua Safran directed episode. So once again, we've got these fantastic shots and editing. I know he's not the editor, but uh, it it's very similar to what we talked about in the pilot where like we've got these really good comedic beats where, yeah, we keep yelling at people to get off their phone when they're at the dinner table. And it's like we just keep playing like how many more people can we add into this mix before the whole sham just topples over like a house of cards? Oh, I love it. And I and just everyone, like, when everyone starts, like, having to uh, basically improv their way through this scenario mm-hmm. when they realize, oh, shit, something's <laughs> going on. It just, uh, it just gets funnier and funnier. I loved it when Audrey's mom shows up with, like, <laughs> dresses for some reason. I couldn't even figure out why she ended up being invited. But I think she was there to dress um, Max's dad. Yeah. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. But then, of course, we've got all of these people from Max's bad, drawn-out orgy (laughs) that he's not (laughs) trying to participate in. And they just keep coming down the stairs in their underwear. And I love the comedic payoff of, you know, like, oh, I saw you at the ballet. You were horrible. You're horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that That was was actually a very good singer from her, though. (laughs) Sick burn. I was like, okay, well, that's the only one you get. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, everything else you're saying is really awful and you need to get out of here, but that was That's funny. I think the the reason that this works so well for me is because it has the right kind of madcap energy. You're right, Ari. All of these performances, like everybody's hitting their mark. They're hitting it really hard. But it's also an emotional culmination, right? Like we talked about how happy we are with how they're handling the thruple. And this is like the thing that kind of gets them to like inch a little bit closer to coming out publicly. And then we also have this great scene with dad and pops at the end mm-hmm. where he removes the like awful wig oh, off I of love dad. The, the reference to the it's an Annette Benning wig where she made mm-hmm. everyone dress like her at one of her birthday parties. <laughs> I Which love it. Could see, totally can envision <laughs> it. Yeah, but then we get this like sweet sort of semi reunion and and who knows whether it'll last or not, but it just it feels like such a fucking beautiful payoff after this character literally said, nobody does this in real life. This is not the bird cage. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite lines of the episode, for sure. And it was just so like, uh, this is one of the, and I guess I'm in the the side that might be a minority. I like uh, Max's dad's subplots and I, and I like their scenes together. But this really was kind of like peak, like, oh, this mm-hmm. is what I want to see from this. Like, this is sweet. I like this. I want I want more of this from them. Yeah, no, I'm I'm in hard agreement. You know, the only reason I didn't like it is because it felt like everything escalated with them too quickly in the first season. And I wanted to see them try to work it out because I think these two actors have genuine chemistry to the point where I spent this whole episode being like, I couldn't imagine asking the person that I love to do this for me because sure, it's a great opportunity. Like obviously it's a big business deal, but you don't do this to someone and to have that be a very obvious payoff at the end of the episode didn't diminish the fact that it's what I wanted to see. And I was really happy to see it. Like it really hits that proper emotional beat. You know what? I'm just rambling. It worked for me very well. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I feel you completely. And honestly, because this is, I think just as a queer person too, like this idea of kind of this internalized homophobia and it's okay mm-hmm. to be queer as long as you're not this type of queer. It's it's so universal because a lot of people struggle with that whenever they're coming to terms 
with their identities. And again, some people still struggle with that whenever they're trying to fit in in different, you know, circles of society. So I love seeing this. I love seeing both sides of it. Uh, you know, seeing it played, obviously, for laughs to a degree, all of the birdcage, but also seeing it really realistically. It's kind of like the idea of you are actually telling someone, be less of yourself. And that is mm-hmm. some such a immensely damaging thing to hear as a member of any marginalized community. And so I think I just really appreciated how it played out and then getting to hear um, Pops, you know, defend him and defend their house. And it's really in all of its extravagance and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the sex positivity. And, you know, it was really nice to see all that get, get thrown in uh, in Graham's face. And I do think it was like one of the better scenarios for um, the thruple coming out because I feel like it's in a place of love versus uh, feeling like a necessity. Mm-hmm. So it, it it's like more organic and natural and sweet than something that like would have happened in the first episode. I also want to point out that I, I don't know if either of you know this, but the person who plays the chef for their mm-hmm. family, she was on Top Chef. She's a real chef. Her name's Carla Gray. Oh. And like, I was so glad that she had lines this season. She looks so familiar. That makes sense. She's on uh, Food Network a lot too. But like, I think she's been on um, Chopped probably a few times, I would assume. But hmm. yeah, no, absolutely crazy. Because like last season, like she just shows up like in the blink of an eye mm-hmm. in like one episode. And I was like, Carla. And then like she walks in <laughs> with all her food and she actually gets like a funny little tidbit. I don't know. I loved it. I was like, this is like the pop culture that like sends me. Yeah, she was. I loved her. I just because they gave her like th- of the line she had. Most of them were really funny. <laughs> like mm-hmm. she got she got some really good zingers. Yeah, like, Jenny, if you hadn't said that, I would have thought that she was just, like, a great character actress because she absolutely nails the comedic timing with her line delivery. Mm -hmm. No, she's a real chef, and I don't don't know how she got on this show. Kind of like a miss me thing or it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's cool, but I'm (laughs) I'm glad that she's there because it it serves me very well. (laughs) Yeah, good good Easter egg there. It's probably not an Easter egg for most people, but I don't really watch a lot of... The, no, me the, neither. The food networky stuff. So, uh, but that is co- cool to know, and because I I thought she was fantastic. Hmm. Okay. So, do we have any other housekeeping storylines that we want to talk about, or shall we transition over to where we think we're headed next? No, but we got to call out the dildo rolling down the stairs, and also the <laughs> way it drops from behind Brooke. Uh huh. I was kind of like, where was she holding that thing? <laughs> I know she was probably holding it in her hand behind her back, <laughs> but it was just a really funny moment to see it just like plop down. I'm glad you called out the dildo. I also want to call out like one of my favorite one liners in this episode, which was when Luna is talking about like, willingly like taking down Monet essentially and then giving some metaphors. She's just like, yeah, like, Florence Pugh and that old guy like how they like we all broke them up <laughs> we willed it into existence and I was just like I love the fact that Zach Braff is that old guy or some old that guy, old guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like oh great amazing 10 out of 10 joke yeah no Luna Luna stays winning everything she says like, we don't even really need to go in about Luna because we already know that she's amazing everything she does is fantastic as always <laughs> uh okay so we're headed into episode three next where do we think the story is going 
Well, I was just going to say, I, I mean, I do hope, and this is kind of the vibe that we had whenever the Thruple was first really coming together, um, that, you know, I want them to be happy. I want them mm-hmm. to have, like, some time to be a proper relationship that, you know, isn't always in turmoil and isn't always, you know, oh, gosh, just kidding. Maybe we need to break up. You know, I just want it to be settled. And so I'm hoping this is a good signal that it will go in that direction for sure. Hmm. Yeah, I've definitely got in my notes, uh, they're probably going to have to negotiate some new aspect of the relationship now because we've kind of put to bed the fact that they are now going to be out and in the public eye. Yeah, I just want them to be as a couple happy or I guess it's not it's a thruple happy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I was like, I don't know. Uh, But I want like their drama to kind of be more chaotic like everyone else's and less relationshipy because I feel like I feel like where this series has thrived so far is not with relationshipy drama but more like with friendship drama um mm-hmm. than the past seasons have also uh I, I said it in the episode I, I don't trust Mike no oh yeah no not at all and oh also uh what was the oh yeah the Monet uh Julian stuff is going to escalate for sure because the we didn't even touch on the pushing her into the the fountain mm-hmm. but it is just <laughs> that was just lovely how that played out like she just really comes across as so unhinged you know, monet does and and throwing herself in but it of course someone snaps a shot and it does look like she got pushed in so of yeah course. definitely that, that's gonna that's gonna escalate something i feel like yeah yeah, I think that Kate is going to have to uh, eat a bit of crow because she got the headmistress fired. And of course, that usually means someone worse is waiting in the wings. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this Nick and Zoya stuff is going to have to come to a head because we can't just do another episode where they're doing a silent detente, but not really addressing the issue. So I'm hoping that something will happen between these two. And then my final note is a plea to the writers so, as I mentioned, Brooke and Obi are back in this episode. I could not give two fucks, but also wah, wah. I realize this actress who is playing Brooke, she's so boring. Like, her line delivery is so flat. She's just, she's, it's not faux chipper. It's not actual chipper. It's just, I don't know. This character doesn't fit in this world, and they need to find a way to make her more interesting. She's like the boring religious girls that I used to know growing up honestly and they have just as much personality so sorry boring religious girls out there but that's what she is she is like sawdust (laughs) like (laughs) getting trickled through the episode i i honestly it's it's very telling that we talked about most all characters in this and we didn't even mention that obi came back (laughs) (laughs) oh right that was a like oh yeah uh we mentioned her more than obi but only because she is a part of the subplot and a mechanic in it. Uh, yeah, I think she is so boring and they have got to explain why Obi is dating her. Cause it's like, yeah. make, make him a little bit more interesting than dating like the most boring person on this planet. That's like, just like, she's a horse girl. I, I promise. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. She is epitome. Yes. Oh boy. Uh, okay, well, hopefully next week we will have something happen on that front. But uh, Jenny, if people want to talk to you about Season 2, Episode 2, how would they get a hold of you? 
Uh, you can get a hold of me pretty much across all platforms at Jenny Lee X33, and Lee is spelled L E I G H. I even have a hive, but actually, you might not be able to get a hold of me because I deleted the app. So, uh, <laughs> Twitter is probably a safer bet. <laughs> okay. And Ari, what about you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter, and I think I do still have my hive, my hive on my phone. B R E Drew T H E A R I D R E W. Nice. All right. Some people can get a hold of me at Beast on my remote, and that's the letter B. And if you want to get a hold of the show, you're using hashtag HKHSPod, or if you've got something long form, you can send us an email hkhspod at gmail.com all right so until we return for episode three we can xoxo out of here you know you love me xoxo